Welcome to Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. I'm your aptly named host of your favorite hebdomadal podcast. It's the Valentine's Day show. I hope you and your Valentine or Valentines can snuggle a bit and do something special together, or at least share that you're special to each other. Oh, I'm glad you're with me. I'd be thrown into paracusis if I had to hear that you missed this week's show. Fundraising amid polarization. From the Chronicle of Philanthropy, Drew Lindsay uncovers the details from his two recent articles reporting on the impact of political polarization on nonprofit fundraising. On Tony's Take Two, an example beyond polarization into conspiracy theory. Last week, I said Amy Sample Ward would be on this week. You have no idea what it's like working with these big-time celebrities. There was a calendar mistake, and it would be indiscreet of me to say who made the mistake. Amy. We're sponsored by Turn 2 Communications, PR and content for nonprofits. Your story is their mission. Turn-2.co. Here is Fundraising Amid Polarization. It's my pleasure to welcome to Nonprofit Radio, Drew Lindsay. He is a longtime magazine writer and editor who joined the Chronicle of Philanthropy in 2014. He previously worked at Washingtonian Magazine and was a principal editor for Teacher and MHQ, which were each selected as finalists for a National Magazine Award for general excellence. In 2005, he was one of 18 journalists selected for a year-long Knight Wallace Fellowship at the University of Michigan. You should be following him. He's at Drew Lindsay, COP. If he was Drew Lindsay, COPD, that would be chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, but he doesn't, he doesn't have COPD. He's at the Chronicle of Philanthropy. So Drew Lindsay, COP. Welcome, Drew. Thank you much for having me. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. We're talking about two of your very recent articles uh, in the Chronicle. One is Donations in the Balance, Fundraising in the Age of Polarization. The other is Advice for Fundraisers Caught in the Middle of Political Battles. I'd like to start with a, a quote from, from the second of those, and then uh, let's, let's talk about what's going on. Quote, at the extreme are episodes where blocks of disaffected donors protest an organization's position or work. But fundraisers report that even casual encounters with supporters can lead to challenging conversations about political and social issues. End quote. What does your reporting tell you? What's going on, Drew? Well, it's interesting how this story even came about in the sense that um, sort of I've been asked to do for six months very deep stories on fundraising, what's going on. So I've been talking a lot of sources, a lot of fundraisers, a lot of consultants, just generally to see stories that I should pursue. And almost as sidebars, um, these individuals had mentioned, and oh, yeah, this is going on. This is sort of we're encountering this daily. Um, and I also saw uh, there were some stories where some of these um, sort of collisions of politics, in a sense, popped up and became news stories. Um, so I decided this was sort of worth a story for us. And I think um, 
importantly for us, I think we write for a audience that is largely fundraisers in the sense I have often is that they're not very connected with each other. They often think their work and their problems and their challenges, they sort of face a little bit of isolation. So we wanted to talk about the daily experience as best as we could to sort of, in one sense, make nonprofits, their leaders and fundraisers realize, hey, we're not alone. It's not like we're doing anything wrong um, at times. It's that we're encountering this because the way the country is and, and the way things are playing out. So that was our goal with the story um, is to offer a glimpse. I don't by any means suggest that my reporting covers it all and that this is happening nationwide. I do think it's common enough that uh, people are going to encounter maybe just in a casual conversation and maybe something bigger, but we wanted to, to show that happening. So, Yeah. You know, you uh, say in one of the pieces that nonprofits are bringing together large numbers of people who just reflect society's divisions and the country is divided, polarized. So nonprofits are, are sometimes in the crosshair. Um, mm -hmm. it, you know, let's talk a little about, um, you know, social media and, and what, you know, how things can inflame, you know, so quickly. Sure. Uh, and, but the anonymity behind that too. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, one of the interesting things, some of the, the veterans that I talked to about this issue said, you know, the, the country has, you know, this is not new to fundraising in the sense of encountering donors or others who disagree with your organization for some reason. But and there are examples in, in the country's history. Talked to one fundraiser who'd been you know, working since at least the civil rights movement. And he said she said this is you know, this has been part of what we've dealt with a long time. I think there is some sense that social media um, accelerates this, intensifies it, amplifies it, um, that, uh, you know, people are, as we all know, people are very quick on social media to be in their own camp, one, and two, to react to whatever they see in the moment um, without measured thought, without context. Social media itself is not a great um, you know, a great means of conveying nuance, of conveying, you know, um, deep background and context. So I think people are reacting sometimes too quickly to things that are not put forward in the right way, which just inflames the situation in a sense. And then you have that anonymity to it also. You, you quote you, you quote someone who wonders if, if the people there that she's talking to day to day, you know, might be trolling anonymously. Sure. Uh, you know, and, and inflaming. Yeah, I think that's true. I think it's unsettling for people to, you, that yeah. you don't know. Um, you can be sitting in a development office, a communication office, and you are putting forward messages from your uh, organization, and you can have um, what's called clapback, people reacting on social media to what you've done. And you really don't know, is this a supporter? Is this uh, an alumni that is is upset? Or is this someone from the outside? Is this someone who has no connection to your organization whatsoever who happened to see this and reacted? And so it, it's a little hard as a, um, you know, steward of your organization to understand how to react to those kind of things, because it may just be somebody who's who isn't, a, again, isn't a supporter and doesn't even know much about your organization, just responding to those 160 characters in the tweet or such. Yeah, it could just be a troll. Yep. You know, threatening to stop giving who never has given and, and maybe never even heard of your organization until, they, right. until they saw a tweet. Yeah. And, and, I, um, and I, I think 
some of the, in the advice piece, I think some of the folks really tried to help put that in perspective that you can't just assume that because you have a mini firestorm on social media, that that is all your supporters, that if someone on social media declares, I'm never giving to this organization again, that that may not be true. It may be something I thought about in the moment. And so to try, and also that it, it, it often doesn't represent, I had several organizations tell me, you know, something that happens on social media, that probably doesn't represent our whole constituency. It, it's maybe a small minority. And, and you need to keep that in mind as you react, as you respond, that it isn't all what's on social media doesn't represent your whole supporter base. It's time for a break. Turn to communications, thought leadership. Do you or your nonprofit want to be seen as leaders in a public dialogue, not merely participating in a conversation that involves your work. Wouldn't it be delightful, wonderful, to have media call you to get your opinion on breaking news? It takes time to earn that credibility, to build those relationships, but it's eminently doable. Turn 2 can get you there. Turn 2 Communications. Your story is their mission. Turn-to.co. Now back to fundraising amid polarization. Yeah, you uh, you cite the group at MIT, the the Free Speech Alliance. That's correct. You know, they based on your reporting, or at least up till your reporting, you know, they had something like five hundred followers, but almost one hundred and fifty thousand alumni. Correct. At, uh, but but a vocal, you know, a, a, a tiny minority, but but vocal, inflammatory, and that, you know, that leads to um, the potential of donations being used mm-hmm. as, a, as one of your, one, one of the folks you quote yep. says, as, as a, the donations could be a screw that's turned. Yep. Yep. And I, and I think that's, um, I think that's one of the things that surprised me about it is that I knew that, that, you know, people sometimes talk about it in social media or in letters or, in, you know, they're responding to their organization to a, a message that went out. They may say in that individual response, I'm never going to give. It was interesting to me to see that some critics of an organization now have taken it and become more formalized in a sense. Uh, the MIT case you, you mentioned, um, the Free Speech Alliance has not um, taken this step, but they are considering forming a donor advised fund in which they would encourage um, supporters of their free speech issues to, instead of giving to MIT, they would give to this donor advised fund. And then it would, in a sense, be held um, as leverage as they try to um, convince the university to to pursue certain free speech principles that they adhere to. So um, that's what I guess surprised me is that in some cases, it's become a little more formalized in terms of how you use uh, donations as leverage. Yeah, you saw this at uh, Washington and Lee also. That's correct. Uh, Washington Lee, the, the free speech group there, um, has, I think, 10 to 12,000 supporter followers. I won't say supporters. They, you know, they when they send out an email, they have a base of about 10,000. And they have encouraged repeatedly to um, their supporters to withhold their contributions to the university as a means of getting the university to pay attention to them. They feel the university would disagree. They feel they have not, their views have not been heard. And so they are trying to, in a sense, use donations as a way to make the university pay attention to them. Um, so. Yeah. At, at Washington and Lee, it's around the, uh, the treatment of uh, General Lee 
the the administration took his name off the chapel, right? And that that seems to have incited uh, ignited the uh, the the organization called the the Generals Redoubt. That's correct. That's I guess correct. they're the Washington and Lee Generals. Is that mm-hmm. is that their team? Yeah. And I, I think uh, it's I think Washington Lee is an interesting case study of this in the sense that. Um, you know, it's an older institution. Um, it has that history going back Washington and Lee are in the name. And, and at current, there are a number of, of um, individual supporters, faculty, alumni who would like them to consider dropping Lee from the name of the institution itself. So they have that pressure. Yeah. At the same time as an institution, they made the decision to take the name of Lee off of the sort of central chapel to the college. It's now, I think, called the University Chapel. So um, this this general's readout is not is not happy with the decision to drop Lee from the chapel name, but others are not happy with the university because it's not taking Lee out of the college name itself. So, um, in a sense, they're feeling this pressure on all sides. Um, and on one uh, one side believes they've gone too far, and the other side believes they haven't gone far enough. That's correct. Uh, yep. And then and you know, <laughs> nonprofits are caught in the balance. Yeah. Um, and your reporting suggests this is, a, you know, across all missions. I mean, we're, we're talking right now about education, but you've talked to folks in the arts, social services, environmental. I, I, it's true. And it, it's um, that it was interesting to me. And I think um, the social scientists I talked to, uh, David Brubaker, um, sort of put this in context in the sense that, you know, nonprofits, any any organization in the country at this point, schools in particular, you're seeing a, a flashpoint. Any any organization or group in in the country that is bringing together large groups of people behind a mission um, is sort of subject to this because the nature of that mission now gets called into question. So, yes, you see. Um, uh, so I think that's one thing. I think there's another viewpoint we ought to consider in that. Um, there are there's some pressure on groups in a sense of taking it, you know, I'll just say it's they're outside their lane in a sense. They may be doing environmental work or they may be doing health work. And if they take up an issue or a cause, um, and I think the one that's most 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 top of mind for me is an environmental group um, stands behind Black Lives Matter or takes up an issue like that. They even have some liberal supporters, people who are part of their constituency, kind of them saying, you're an environmental group. I'm not I'm not supporting you for your stand on Black Lives Matter. I'm supporting you for your work on the environment. So um, I, I think it's it's across a lot of different cause areas. Um, perhaps most I would say it's most intense, perhaps at schools, colleges, universities, Um in some sense, those are places where supporters feel a real personal connection to those institutions. And they, in a sense, have much more invested in what they're doing and how they're doing than, say, a uh, supporter for a health group that is behind its mission to reduce cancer or to do certain things. So, um, and, and there's a sense of belonging to those institutions. And so, um, a lot, I'm talking schools and colleges, that yeah. sense of belonging is sometimes hurt when or changed. That's their, their relationship with the school changes um, when they feel like the, the mission is now or the school has gone off and done something they don't agree with. So um, colleges and universities also see themselves as um, societal change agents. In a sense, they may be seeking a change in, in the society that some of their alumni may say, well, that's not something I see as a positive. 
So I would say it's most intense there. I was surprised um, David Brubaker put me onto this, um, the number of clergy and churches that feel because of COVID caught in the middle in a sense, and that mm-hmm. they are, you know, obviously, uh, you know, bringing large groups of people together. And the question of whether you have in-person services, worship, group meetings, kinds of things, whether you wear masks and things have become real contentious to the point that um, David pointed me to the survey, four in 10 pastors recently surveyed said they're considering leaving the field. And this is a real, this tension, this dynamic is a real problem for them. So yeah, the, the masking is in churches is interesting, but I could see it in theater groups too. Yeah, absolutely. You know, yep. We're yep. going to, inf- we're enforcing masking for the safety of our, of our patrons. Well, you're going too far. You're giving into fear. And then yep. if, if, if they don't have a masking requirement, then you're not keeping us safe. And we're not. Uh, so for that reason, we're not going to come to the, Right. To the congregation or to the theater. Yeah. yeah. It's time for Tony's take two. Drew and I are talking about political polarization hurting nonprofits. There's a story this week that goes even more extreme. It's more extreme in what's driving the pro- driving the impact and in the impact. I can't think of anything more benign than butterflies except maybe tofu. Butterflies at least, you know, have, have independent flight. Tofu, you shake the plate and it just jiggles. So tofu might be more benign than butterflies. But butterflies are pretty darn benign. Not according to some conspiracy theorists who claim that uh, the National Butterfly Center, a nonprofit in Mission, Texas, is a refuge of human smuggling and child sex trafficking. There's no evidence to support any of these claims. It's a, it's a gross conspiracy theory. Sounds very much like uh, the, the uh, pizza parlor and pizza gate in uh, Washington, D.C. With the, with the theories. The National Butterfly Center has had to close because they're concerned about the security of their staff. I mean, I, I, I presume the butterflies would be safe, although maybe the butterflies are the ones, maybe they're spiriting aliens across the border. Uh, yeah. So the center has had to close because of these concerns about safety. It involves the border wall. There's, there's, segment, there's a segment of the border wall that's near the the butterfly center and, and the center objects to the wall being built through their property. Uh, that's what seems to have given rise to the, to the theories claimed to be happening at the National Butterfly Center. So, you know, you can, you can find that it's again, National Butterfly Center in Mission, Texas. It was been in the news, uh, just this week. So, you know, Drew and I are talking about trends. I mean, he's a journalist. He's, he, you know, he has dozens of people that he's spoken to. Uh, I see this one case. I'm not saying it's a trend. It's not. One case doesn't make a trend, but it's quite disturbing. And, you know, it could happen to any nonprofit, really. I mean, I, I don't see how an organization could be exempt. And I can't think of one that's more innocent than a butterfly center. That is Tony's Take Two. We've got buku buttloads more time for fundraising amid polarization 
with Drew Lindsay. Listeners, uh, you may notice a uh, change in uh, sound quality. That's because we lost the internet connection and uh, I'm now on my phone. But Nonprofit Radio perseveres through technology uh, uh, disruptions and disappointments. There's no, there's no, we've, I've been at conferences and had the lights turned off around me. So there's no, there's no stopping Nonprofit Radio. Drew, you had mentioned you know, racial equity statements and Black Lives Matter, but it could be something as seemingly innocuous as an auction item that mm-hmm. incites people. Yeah, I, I think uh, auction, I, it's interesting. I talked to um, some consultants and fundraisers in the West or some rural areas where 10 or 15 years ago, no one thought twice about putting in um say, an afternoon at the gun range as an auction item or auctioning off a piece of uh, weaponry or some sort of accessory. No one thought twice about it. Now, 10, 15 years later, with uh, school shootings and other things, raising the profile and issues concerning gun safety, those are are really questionable. Yet at the same time, they're part of the culture in some of those rural areas. So uh, fundraisers, I think, really wrestle. I think, you know, there are other things, even something as basic as, say, a holiday email or video for any given holiday, particularly, say, around the uh, Christmas season, is a real cause for angst for people. How do you how do you um, write something that isn't offensive yet at the same time is not um, going to going to still has meaning, still has something, some yeah. some impact. So, um, yeah. All right. Interesting. You know, interesting times. Uh, important, I think, just for consciousness raising. So uh, nonprofit leaders are uh, are aware that there's the potential out there. So let's let's talk a little bit about advice mm-hmm. for uh, for fundraisers, which you know draws from your second piece. Sure. Uh, and and the, the the first idea is to prepare. Yeah, and I, I think a lot of the folks that I talk to uh, really want to put. Uh, and notice leaders on notice that this is part of your job as a nonprofit leader as an advancement leader is to consider this and prepare your staff. Um, part of, you know, the advice is often that um, a position the group takes or a new program or something needs to be firmly explained and put in context of the organization's mission. And, um, you know, that can be done at a high level, but the thinking and strategy behind it needs to be conveyed to the gift officers. It needs to be conveyed to the donor communication staff, the steward folks. They all need to be prepared for, and even perhaps have talking points, prepared for individual conversations with donors, for putting out their own communication so that, you know, a step that an organization takes that is rooted in mission, those roots have to be made very clear to folks. Um, so, that's a little bit on leadership. I think leadership also has to look at gift agreements and look at um, what those policies call for, what gifts that they can accept, what's the contingencies for them. Um, that was something everybody suggested that, that groups ought to take a second look at in, in lieu of this kind of co- political context out there. Um, I think there's also some sense that um, gift officers in particular need some process put in place for them that if they have really awkward, uncomfortable, even sometimes offensive conversations with donors, that they have recourse. They have a process. They know what how the organization will handle those sort of situations. You can't leave your gift officers out there alone to deal with this and manage it on their own, that, that they have to feel supported and backed up. So 
a lot of this starts with leadership and prepare, preparation. And your reporting suggests there's, there's a shift away from donor centrism and, and into, uh, you know, you've, you've alluded to it a couple of times, the mission yeah. and values of the organization that, sure. that in years past, this might've been something that organizations rolled over on uh, right. just to appease, appease donors, especially major donors, sure. but n- sure. not so much anymore. You're seeing a trend away. Well, I, I think, um, and you know, put this in context, I think there, there's donor centrism that people embrace, say, 15, 20 years ago. Some veterans in the field talk about there might have been a time where the donor could call the shots on these things. And this is a long time ago. But people have begun, I think, to move away from that strict embrace of donor centrism. And uh, there was some sense that, you know, the gift that someone is giving you is for the mission and purpose of the organization. And again, your conversations have to tie whatever you're doing into that mission and purpose of the organization. Um, so it, it's perhaps um, a little bit of a shift away from the focus on the donor and what they're doing for the organization, as opposed to here's what their organization is doing. Um, so I think that's true. And and again, it was the veterans mainly talking about this and that there was a time again, 15, 20 years ago where donors called the shots. So, and, and that also helps the organization root the, the, the controversy in, in, its own, in its own work. And so that it, this is not, you know, just a reflection of the times. Right. It's not a whim that we, you know, we, we read a headline and we've, we've right. uh, taken a stand, but this is rooted in our, in our work, what we believe. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, that, and that, folks, may, you have to make clear when you make a change or you make a position standard things. You really have to root in strategy in, in your mission because people can too often see you as reacting to a headline, putting a finger to the wind, trying to react to the times. And, you know, it, it's one of the things about social media that was interesting in my conversations with folks. You sort of hear two things. You hear, you know, um, don't, don't, there's a temptation when you're getting sort of flap, clap back on social to sort of pull back and not do as much. Yeah. And folks, I do, you know, you can't do that. You're not, you're not, you know, you got to continue to advance and promote what you're doing and your cause. But at the same time, you have to consider that social media is an incredibly condensed prism through which to view something. And if you need to do the work to tie something into mission and to provide context and nuance, keep that in mind when you're going to social. Social has to be done very carefully so that you can make the connections that are necessary for people to see how this ties back to your mission. Um, so that's, it's sort of contradictory advice in the sense of you want to keep doing social, you want to resist the temptation to pull back, but at the same time, you got to be careful what you do and really craft it well. So, And then likewise, you know, having difficult one-on-one conversations with donors, mm-hmm. you know, don't, don't shy away from them as well is, is, right. is the advice you were hearing. Well, it was really remarkable and a lot of fundraisers, you know, there are some challenging and difficult conversations and um, really they need to hear out from people, some borders, what the concerns are. Yeah. And again, the conversations bring it about to explain calmly and, and you know, um, without reacting defensively in a sense to how this ties to mission. I think um, I was surprised in that a number of fundraisers talked about those difficult conversations actually leading to a deeper relationship with a donor. And 
sort of getting you beyond some superficial sort of things and getting the donor perhaps to understand more about the mission of the organization. So that part of the advice of don't shy from these conversations is there can be a real benefit from. Um, so but at the same token, there are some people going to walk away, but um, that there are some benefits. It wasn't it the CEO of the Salvation Army who told you that, that when, when he has these conversations, they almost almost uniformly lead to a, a, an understanding right. uh, a, a across on, on both sides. Yeah. And I think that that suggests there has to be a process in your office for when perhaps you get an email back or you get um, some sort of response or negative reaction to seek out a personal one-on-one conversation. Yeah. Those can often, you know, people are disarmed by those and suddenly you see each other as humans and things change, the dynamics change. So, yes, considerably. Right. Right. Yep. Um, one, one thing that came out of the reporting that I was, I was surprised at was the idea of in these conversations, sharing your own personal views. Well, it's interesting that since the piece is going out, that's the most reaction I've got from people and, and some suggesting and that's not what you should do. I think, um, I think as, as the piece suggested, there are some fundraisers who really feel like um, their job is not to censor themselves, that that in a sense, you know, they're putting their whole self into the job and for them to censor. Um, I think perhaps one way to look at it is, you know, your personal view of why this fits within the, the mission of the, the, you know, I don't think you need to sound off on things that are completely unrelated to the topic, but if you have a view of, an organization position or program or what it's doing and how it matches with your belief and what the organization should be doing. That's a way to frame it. Um, as opposed to, you know, you're, if the, this conversation strays into say gun rights, it's not like you have to pop off on that just because that's how you feel, but try, you know, you don't eliminate your personal um, views when it comes to things that are really related to the organization and essentially make you a, a, a uh, a more three-dimensional person for, for the donor. If you explain how your views tie into why the organization is important to you. Yes. So. Uh, you've, you've said it a couple of times, relate how it relates to the, to the mission yeah. and values of the, of the organization. Right. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Um, being willing to apologize when you, when you do make a mistake. Yep. And I think that, um, you know, there are a couple examples of, of organizations that, perhaps did something that touched off something that they did unintentionally. And I think, um, I've, and again, I've had some response since the piece has been out, but being upfront, declaring it a mistake, not trying to wrap it in some sort of PR gauze as if really this is what we intended and, oh, you're, you know, you the donor are not understanding how we came out, you know, just sort of upfront, be upfront about it. I think some readers that I've talked to since the piece came out, um, suggested that if a donor is offended by something, it's not, there isn't necessarily a mistake on your part. You shouldn't be automatically apologizing for something. It's, I think the piece, and I probably didn't frame it correctly, is suggesting more where, um, you know, the organization truly has made a mistake in terms of language or something. And again, the, the idea is to be upfront, um, to not try to hide it. That just leads to erosion of trust. Um, but by the same token, not to assume that every time someone objects to something you've done, that it is your mistake. Um, so if that makes sense. Yeah. 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 Uh, and that's a fundamental of crisis communications too. Uh, mm. if, if the organization has made a mistake, absolutely be, be out front with an apology, you know, right. 
yep. control of the uh, of the narrative. Um, and then, uh, you know, finally, you alluded to it earlier, but I'm going to flesh it out a bit, not to panic if people say they're going to withdraw their support. Yeah, I think that's the case. And again, it's it's numbers. And particularly when you're looking at, at noise on social media or noise of, you know, phone calls or response, you know, keep in mind, um, you know, that you have a very large constituency and supporters. Um, I know of, of a couple nonprofits that had um, something touch off, uh, you know, phone calls or social media, and they felt compelled then to write to their entire constituency about it. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, their entire, you know, 90% of their constituency had no idea what anybody was talking about. And all you've done is raise it to their attention. So keep the, the criticism, the protests, the concerns raised in context of your broader um, set of supporters. What's some of that other uh, reader feedback that you've heard? Uh, it's been, it's been good in a sense. I, I described this, as you said, to a glimpse of, of what's happening. And, you know, I never in our reporting want to suggest that this is universal or anything we're describing. And I, I really w- did want this to be seen as a glimpse. Um, and, and this is not that people are seeking me out, but as I continue to talk to people for other stories, they will mention this story and said, oh yeah, I, you know, you're right. This is happening. And, and it's often the, what you and I have talked about in the small ways that this sort of tension is creeping into everyday work. There are some cases where, where um, individuals have mentioned, yes, because of our stand on this, a million dollar donor walked away. And, you know, that's, this is a reality. So um, I've heard it just in casual conversations and I'm doing reporting on other stories that a confirmation of sense that this is an issue for a current front of mind for a lot of people. All right. Well, thank you for making us aware and uh, sharing some of the advice based on your reporting. Again, the pieces are in the Chronicle of Philanthropy, donations in the balance, fundraising in the age of polarization, and advice for fundraisers caught in the middle of political battles. He is Drew Lindsay at Drew Lindsay COP. Drew, thank you very, very much. No, thank you for the time. I enjoyed it. My pleasure. Next week... For sure, Amy Sample Ward returns to talk about the 2022 Nonprofit Technology Conference. Talk about celebrity culture. But I will work through it. I'll work through their booking agent, attorney, PR staff, the virtual assistant. I will get them here. If you missed any part of this week's show, I beseech you. Find it at TonyMartinetti.com. We're sponsored by Turn2 Communications, PR and content for nonprofits. Your story is their mission. Turn-2.co. Our creative producer is Claire Meyerhoff. The show's social media is by Susan Chavez. Mark Silverman is our web guy. And this music is by Scott Stein. Thank you for that affirmation, Scotty. Be with me next week for Nonprofit Radio. Big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Go out and be great.